everybody. Welcome to the Large Nerdron Collider podcast, the podcast that's all about the geeky things happening in the world today and how very excited we are about them. I'm Ariel Kasten, and with me as always is Jonathan Strickland. Oh, bother. Yeah, certainly. So uh, uh, we're, we're bringing you this episode uh, through great trials and tribulations, including tech issues again, that I think uh, are different from the tech issues we had last week. So I look forward to this series now becoming just a, a different sequence of tech problems from episode to episode. I would say every, every uh, episode is an adventure. Yeah, if it if it happens again next time, I might have us use the old method that we used to use uh, back in the original LNC days, and we won't use the online um, uh, studio that we have been using because uh, maybe that would solve some of these problems. I don't know. What I do know is we have a bunch of different, very different news items to cover this week. Yeah, the first of which is Saturday is National Cinema Day. So the day after this episode comes out, if you're listening to it in a timely manner, where if you're comfortable going to theaters, uh, many theaters are selling movie tickets for $3 a pop all day. Yeah, uh, and you might wonder why would movie theaters do such a thing? And it's largely because obviously the industry has had a lot of problems, challenges, you could say, post-pandemic, uh, which, I mean, we're not really post-pandemic, but pandemic-related, and that there's still trying to figure out ways to get more people into theaters, to get the movie-going culture back into full swing. And that's hard, largely because there's been kind of a lack of big-ticket cinema films mm -hmm. coming out this year. I think that's largely due to the gap that was created because of the pandemic and that it's just going to take some time to get back into that rhythm because the pandemic, you know, you either had productions that were almost finished and then they hurriedly finished up as best they could. Or you had a whole bunch that never really got started mm -hmm. until things calmed down. And that's why we've got this lull. Yeah, it's also interesting because I realize. Not the entire world is at Dragon Con, but at least in Atlanta, I don't know how much traction it's going to get this weekend. Yeah, uh, here in Atlanta, we are in Dragon Con weekend. Maybe one day Ariel and I will attend Dragon Con in our our uh, our roles as podcasters, but it will not be this year. And Dragon Con, of course, is a big science fiction, fantasy, horror, comic book, etc. convention where... Uh, I mean, it's really true that there are more people in costume than not in costume when you're walking around. And it's an amazing experience, uh, but it does mean that they are otherwise occupied and will not be taking time out of their busy con schedule of changing from costume 23 into costume 24 so that they can jump out and watch a, a quick flick. Yeah, but that being said, if you aren't at Dragon Con... And you want to go see a cheap movie, it's a really good day to do it. I know a couple of the movies that are going out are Jaws 3D and Spider-Man No Way Home are both going back to the theaters. So some good geeky options there. Yeah, yeah. So it might not be that, you no, know, there's a, a brand new thriller out there that you have to see. But 
there could be some interesting options. I, I really do think that it's fun when theaters bring back old films, especially ones that maybe you're a fan of the film, but you never had the opportunity to actually get the theatrical experience of seeing it. Mm-hmm. I love when those kind of things come back around. Uh, it's why I love things like midnight movies and stuff like that, where you get that chance because it really does add something special to the experience. Um, as much as, as I grouse about the theatrical experience and the fact that I haven't been to a movie theater since, since the pandemic, um, I still actually do like it when, when it's one of those where everybody's really into the movie that you're going to go see. I, I agree. Uh, speaking of movies, I, this is, this is a story that just made me absolutely delighted on multiple levels. There is a movie in the works uh, it's the directorial debut of Robin Williams's daughter, Zelda, called Lisa Frankenstein, which I will admit when I first read the title, I thought it said Lisa Frank. And I'm like, why are we getting a Lisa Frank movie? Uh, you can listen <laughs> all about Lisa Frank on one of our old Business on the Brink episodes. Uh, it's a crazy <laughs> story. So maybe it would make a, it a movie. You might fall into a trap or keeper. If you listen to that episode. Uh, yeah, the the I was reading over the, the story and we'll link to the article, which uh, is out of Collider and Collider buries the lead a little bit in that the plot synopsis falls fairly low in the article. So as I'm reading, I'm thinking, so what is Lisa Frankenstein? Is it some sort of alternative take on the Frankenstein story that maybe instead of Victor Frankenstein, we have Lisa Frankenstein, but it, it, it gets so much weirder than that (laughs) in a way that made me so happy. Ariel, why don't you, why don't you give your best take on what Lisa Frankenstein vaguely is about? Okay. So it's set in the late eighties and a high school student reanimates a Victorian corpse who also happens to be a hot, I think it's a hot guy because it's Cole Sprouse is involved with this yeah. movie as well. Uh, when he falls into a tanning bed. It, yeah. So the tanning, the tanning bed becomes like the instrument of resurrection somehow. I, one wonders how you get a corpse in a tanning bed, but um, yeah, it's, it's this this thing where she decides that now this, according to the synopsis, it's probably more complicated than this, but that she decides that this uh, corpse, uh, reanimated corpse, is far more interesting, charming, and attractive than the uh, the fellows she's encountering in modern day, and that maybe this is kind of you know making Mister Right uh, with the, <laughs> the 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 Frankenstein's monster character and. Um, I was telling Ariel before we started recording, before I realized I'm an idiot and you should always save this stuff for when you're on mic, that it actually feels like that kind of plot feels like the kind of weird stuff we were getting in the 1980s mm-hmm. when you had films like like Teen Witch, where they were all these very high concept, bizarre uh, teen romance comedies and this one just feels like it could have been made in 1989. And also, it's fun that it's a period piece. <laughs> you say it's a period piece because it's 89. That hurts my soul a little bit, Jonathan. 
I, I realize mean, you're right, but <laughs> it's yeah when it's when it's more than thirty years ago. I'm I'm aware. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I like it on the meta level of it's set at a time when this sort of story would have come out. I like the concept just because I like Universal monster movies, like Frankenstein. So maybe this will vaguely fall into that bucket and give them a revitalization. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, I, Collider points this out, but the writer is Diablo Cody, who worked on both Jennifer's Body, which I haven't seen, but I've heard is a good horror movie, and also on Juno. Mm-hmm. So if you're going for horror comedy, Commodore, no. <laughs> already that's not any better um <laughs> no both both of those are bad choices <laughs> yes um it's a good writer for it yeah i i uh i don't know when the final product is made if it's going to come across as sort of an actual thing of the time now like is it gonna feel like tuned to modern tastes or is it going to feel kind of kitschy and retro and feel like it came from the 80s, hopefully minus all the problematic stuff Mm -hmm. that was common in 80s comedies. Um, You know, I won't go into all of that, but there's, you could easily write an entire book about the terrible tropes that were frequently used in comedies for the purposes of a joke that, you know, in reflection, were really perpetuating awful stereotypes and, Mm -hmm. and, isms that were harmful to others um i don't think we're going to get that in this movie but if tonally it feels like it came from the 80s i could be totally down for that i just don't i don't want to expect that because i'm not certain that that's what's going to appeal to a modern audience so i should be ready for this to have a totally different tone from that it's just that's that's where my mind goes when i think about the setting and the concept yeah i'm going to tentatively joyfully anticipate the trailer we get for this i know that um some of the actors are like they're already filming so uh that's fun uh we actually have a bunch of trailers we do want to talk about but before we do uh to circle back to hbo max yet again (laughs) for the third week in a row we got good news that harley quinn the cartoon is being renewed for season four, which I'm sure is a huge sigh of relief to everybody who was worried about the future of DC on HBO Max after mm-hmm. the Batgirl cancellation. And it's well, especially especially since the animation department in particular got hit really hard across multiple mm-hmm. titles and some some projects that were planned have since been scrapped. So to hear that Harley Quinn escape the chopping block and is getting another season is, is big news. I, I agree. And good news. And I don't think people have to be worried about it getting chopped still because the current season isn't over yet. So right. it's not something that they've started working on and are just like, well, we've got it. So let's release it. Right. Right. Yeah. This is, this is where like giving everyone who's working on that project despite well not the showrunners because those are changing but the uh everyone else who's working on that project the word that yes this is coming back uh which is great i don't know 
if you've been keeping up with Harley Quinn, Ariel, but the most recent episode as of the time of this recording is perhaps the most genius thing I have ever seen in a Batman story. So I have been keeping up, but I did not watch it last night. Last Yesterday was Thursday was crazy busy for multiple reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've seen the previous two episodes Two episodes before last night were a bit much for me, but I think if I'm thinking of the right episode, the Court of Owls episode. Well, but the the one the one that was last week's was great. The one that was last night, the Batman Begins uh, Forever, um, <laughs> was I, it, it references multiple Batman stories from multiple sources so like it's it's fun in that there's a nod to the tim burton era stuff there was a nod to that to the adam west era stuff there's a nod to the christopher nolan era stuff Um, there's a nod to batman the animated series stuff and it's all done in a very funny way while also dealing with uh obviously like like bruce wayne's uh, defining childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it was as I was watching it, I was also geeking out every single time Danny Elfman's Batman score <laughs> was working its way into the background music. I was like, this is, this is phenomenal between that and last night's she Hulk. I had a really good time yesterday. <laughs> I'm, I am glad to hear it. I look forward to watching both last night's she Hulk and last night's Harley Quinn. Uh, She-Hulk I watch on Monday nights with a friend who is virtual, so maybe we'll catch up, but I'm a little bit behind on it, but I'm still enjoying it. Uh, Yeah. Something else I greatly enjoyed was the new trailer for Weird, the Al Yankovic story. (laughs) Yes, it's absolutely what it needs to be, which is that it is a complete send up of the rock and roll biopic and uh, is absolutely not the true story of Weird Al Yankovic's rise to his place in fame, which is an an interesting and unique place. Really Weird Al Mm -hmm. occupies a unique spot in fame in that this is someone who can fade from awareness for years, come back with a well-timed parody or original and then dominate geeky conversation and then do it again. And Mm. like the thing that I always found amazing was that if you went to a Weird Al Yankovic show, which by the way, those are phenomenal. Everyone should try and go to see a Weird Al Yankovic show, whether it's his full stage production or one of his more scaled down tours. It's always amazing. Yeah. Right now his tour is unpopular songs that are not covers in very small venues. But I, I, I love I love his originals. So to Mm -hmm. me like that, like I actually, as I get older, I love his originals more than the parodies because the parodies are often anchored in the time period where they came out where, you know, sometimes the jokes don't work anymore. Often they're making references to things that, you know, are dated. So it, unless you're, you might be like, Oh yeah, I remember when that was a thing. Uh, But his, his uh, originals tend to be, a little more timeless depending upon which one it is. But anyway, his shows are really entertaining, but what's also amazing is seeing the, 
the demographics of the audience, because you can see like kids, like people who just got into Weird Al because they're geeky and they think the music's funny all the way to people my age or older who have been listening to him since his first album. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's just, it's, it's rare to encounter any kind of artist whose work has that sort of appeal across such a huge age range. So, uh, but the, but the, but the trailer doesn't give us that weird owl. The trailer gives us like a Motley Crue style weird owl. Which is hilarious to me because I don't know the man, but everything I know about him is that he's a, it seems like he is a genuinely wholesome, nice person. And so this mm-hmm. rock and roll fiction, fictionalization is hilarious, especially since Weird Al is in the movie, not just as the singing voice, but as a character. So, yes. Yeah. He, he looks like he's playing like a, a music label executive mm-hmm. in in the trailer. And uh, Rain Wilson is playing Dr. Demento and Dr. Demento's coming across as sort of a kind of a sleazy manager slash producer type, which again is so not what Dr. Demento is that, uh, that the, the more, you know, about weird Al and the circle around weird Al, the funnier this trailer is because you see through all the ridiculousness and it just, it adds another layer of humor. Not that I think you need that to find this funny, but it just adds another layer to it. I I agree. We also get to see our first look, like our first real look of Evan Rachel Wood as Madonna. And she's brilliant. I'd watched her briefly, I think on Jimmy Fallon when she was doing musical impressions, because she's in a band Mm -hmm. and she does musical impressions really well. She does an amazing Janis Joplin. Um, so to get to see her work those chops, she's I think she's brilliant as a fictionalization of Madonna. Yeah. And and yeah, and I don't want to ruin anyone's experience for watching just the trailer. You should you should definitely watch it if you haven't seen it already and uh, particularly watch her performance and and her reaction shots because they are great. Yes. And uh, yeah, this is I can't imagine how much fun Daniel Radcliffe must have had making this movie because it looks inspired and insane and ridiculous. And, and he's from everything in the trailer, he's treating it completely straight. Like he's treating it like this is the most serious thing, even as he's doing ridiculous stuff. And that's what sells it. Well, listen, it's often said that the way to sell comedy is to not try to be funny, but truly believe in the comedic situation that you are doing. Yeah. And he's doing it like he's his commitment is evident on screen. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of trippy and bizarre, a trailer popped for a movie called Rainbow that's coming out on Netflix. And I'm hit or miss on Netflix movies. But this one actually looks pretty interesting. It's a Spanish language Wizard of Oz inspired horror mystery. It, it, it yeah, it's hard to put labels on it other than the fact that clearly Wizard of Oz is an influence, but it's not like, at least according to the trailer that I saw, or at least my impression is, it's not like a a a retelling of the Wizard of Oz, at least not not uh, explicitly, not overtly, mm-hmm. but rather that Wizard of Oz has influences on the film, and it does look like it's kind of a uh like like a trippy movie, like literally like 
characters are tripping on psychedelic substances. Mm -hmm. And that in part is what is shaping the film. Like we're again, my impression is the, the reason why the film looks the way it does in certain sequences is it's meant to impart to us what the characters are experiencing as they are being affected by these psychedelic substances. So it is also Spanish language. It's uh, subtitled. So it's, uh, it's one of those that caught my eye immediately because it has a very specific and particular kind of visual look to mm-hmm. it. And it's not, it's not the sort of thing I typically watch, but I found it intriguing. I, I agree. I also found it intriguing. Um, but then again, and, and like the trippy fits for me because wizard of Oz is trippy to me anyhow. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, no, it's, it's so funny because it's such a classic and it's been around our entire lives and you know, I don't know how many times you've seen the the, you know, Julie Garland, Wizard of Oz. I've seen it probably a, a few dozen times. Yeah. And you, you start to forget the trippy elements. Same sort of thing for me for Alice in Wonderland. Like I've heard the story so many times that I start to forget that this is trippy stuff like it is wild. And you can see why yeah. the both of those stories were attractive to people who were in the psychedelia circles, right? You can see, cause mm-hmm. it's like, like these, these stories, even though they're meant for children and it's kind of that childlike imaginative quality that fuels them. It's also akin to the druggy trippy side of things. So yeah. Uh, interesting. I, I hope to watch it. I have, uh, not watched a lot. I'm so behind on all Netflix yeah. stuff. I almost yeah. never boot it up anymore. Uh, I am not as far behind on Netflix stuff, but I did recently go, huh, this is weird. And I've never heard of it and watched it and regretted it. I will not name those titles partially because I can't remember them. I, uh, if you ever need to remember that wizard of Oz is trippy, just watch the old return to Oz movie. I'm just, I'm going to leave that there. <laughs> Hey, you know what? Those those wheelies, man. Mm. Those yeah. wheelies. Speaking of bizarre, and this trailer did not land for me the way that <laughs> Rainbow did, but maybe it landed for Jonathan because he's a bizarre, bizarre person. Um, <laughs> is the trailer for Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. What the heck? <laughs> yeah, when when I first saw this trailer... My first reaction was, this cannot be a real movie. This trailer has to be the full extent of what this is. Like, this is obviously someone's project where they made a trailer for a fictional Winnie the Pooh themed horror movie, slasher movie, not just a horror movie, a slasher Mm -hmm. film. Uh, And that that's that's all there is. It's just this trailer, kind of like how in the past we've seen like students who have made trailers for non-existing films in order to be kind of like part of their reel to demonstrate their abilities for visual effects and directing and cinematography and all that kind of stuff. And I thought that's what this has to be. There's no way someone made a movie where they took the characters of Winnie the Pooh and Christopher Robin aged Christopher Robin up and then had the various Winnie the Pooh characters become feral violent homicidal killers 
possibly because Christopher Robin, quote unquote, abandoned them. And yet here we are. Yeah, it's so bizarre. How can they even do this, Jonathan? Because they at least the Winnie the Pooh character looks like the character from like the Disney cartoon. Well, that is a problem. <laughs> but the actual stories of Winnie the Pooh have passed into public domain, meaning the copyright has lapsed. Mm -hmm. And once a copyright lapses and something's in public domain, then anyone can make copies. They can sell it. They can change it. You can do whatever once something is in public domain. It just takes a very, very long time. It's like 90 years. The, the, the author's life plus 90 years. Or if it's a corporate owned thing, it's slightly different. But um, it's you have to get past this very long period before something's in public domain. Once it is, it's it's. A free game for everybody. And some stuff is in public domain, not because it's that old, but because people failed to file copyrights properly. Mm -hmm. So, for example, George Romero's Night of the Living Dead, the original Night of the Living Dead black and white film is in public domain because it was they failed to file properly. Yeah, that means that means anyone can take a print of Night of the Living Dead and and make digital copies or you know CDs or whatever and sell them and it's fine because it's public domain. Yeah. So Winnie the Pooh is in public domain. However, that being said, the design of Winnie the Pooh, the Disney version, that's a I'm sure that's trademarked. I have no doubt that Disney I, trademarked it. So I don't know how they get away with that or if they will get away with I that. I mean, I think there's so I was being generous when I said it looked like that Winnie the Pooh because it really looks like a heavier set person in a Disney Winnie the Pooh mask to me, but it is definitely nightmarish looking. Yeah. No, these do not look like, it doesn't look like five nights at Freddy's style, you know, figures. They don't look like big plush figures come to life. They look like human beings who are wearing like a pig mask with tusks, I guess to be piglet. Mm -hmm. And this, this vaguely Winnie the Pooh looking bear mask to be Winnie. And uh, you're seeing them stalking teenagers, of course, because mm -hmm. that's the fodder for all slasher films and uh, and and attacking them and things like that. And you see Christopher Robin begging for mercy and all this kind of stuff. Uh, you said at the beginning that this did not land for you and you were wondering if it landed for me. I can tell you right now it did not. OK, I did not. I, I did not like this trailer. I did not think. It was doing anything particularly interesting or doing it well. My feeling was this exists purely for shock value, and that's all it has going for it, at least based off what I saw in the trailer. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think it's something I'm going to pass on. We do have one more trailer for something I don't think I'm going to pass on. I really so there was a story a while ago it was in our show notes i don't know if we covered it if it was a story that got cut but there is a series being made called reboot that is about rebooting like a classic family sitcom kind of yeah, like a, a guess a fiction, house esque right a, a fictional sitcom but one that could have been made say in the you know early to mid 90s yeah and so it's a satire on that, even though we have had reboots of shows like so many reboots of classic 90s sitcoms. Uh, but the trailer just dropped for it. And it looks mm -hmm. lovely because it's 
satirical and funny. Although some of the humor is a little easy. Uh, but it also shows an opportunity for these people who kind of lived in the limelight and then their lives fell apart. And it feels mm -hmm. like it's going to be somewhat of a redemption story for all of them. Which is or heartwarming possible, in the... A, a possible redemption. I'm hoping that not everyone gets redeemed, honestly, because I think it's more interesting that way. But yeah, it's... The thing that so this reminds me more. This doesn't remind me of like, say, Fuller House in the sense that the the series isn't really about the reboot uh, uh, sitcom. It's really about the process of rebooting the sitcom. So it's really about the um, uh, the whole uh, behind the scenes stuff and the dynamic between the various actors and the fact that there's beef between some of them that existed from way back when they made the show the first time and it never got squashed. So you have unsquashed beef running rampant among <laughs> the cast. That unsquashed beef. Yum. It's one of my favorite dishes, actually unsquashed beef, but yeah, no, it's, it's, <laughs> it's one of those things where, you know, you watch this little trailer and you're like, yeah, I totally get it. This feels to me kind of like uh, galaxy quest where mm -hmm. in galaxy quest, you have a, a, the, the cast of a science fiction show and it's really more about the actors and their relationships, both to the material and to each other, that there's a lot of that that's going through in the trailer for reboot. But it also happens to have some very funny and interesting choices for the cast. Like, you know, Judith Greer, Judy Greer is in it. She's in tons mm -hmm. of stuff and is really funny. Uh, Rachel Bloom from uh, My Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is playing yeah. a character. She's the one who is kind of spearheading the attempt to reboot the series. Uh, Johnny Knoxville is in it. Yeah. I didn't even recognize him in the trailer at first. Like <laughs> his, he looked different enough where I, I didn't, I was like, who is this actor? And I looked it up I'm like, and once I knew who it was and I went back, I'm like, Oh yes. Now I see it. <laughs> I guess you <laughs> haven't been watching watch Stranger the Things then. No, I haven't. I'm I'm way behind. I've only seen the first season of Stranger Things, and okay. I know I need to watch more of it, but I've only seen the first season. Yeah. This last season was really good, I will say. Uh, it also has Keegan-Michael Key in it, which is interesting because he was recently, or maybe still is, I haven't watched it yet because I don't have Apple TV yet, was in a satire about musicals, Schmigadoon. Yeah. And now he's in a satire about sitcom reboots. The... I don't want to ruin it in the trailer. There's a button at the end where they also make fun of all of the streaming services trying to delve into all these genres that I thought was brilliant and self-aware in a good way. So yeah. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I, uh, I liked it a lot. I also feel that as someone who's tangentially involved in this, cause like the podcast space in particular has become a place that has fueled this interest in uh, in series, including in rebooting series like there are so many watch along podcasts now, right, where mm. you have people who were involved in the original project talking about the series episode by episode. You know, The Office, I think, has two or three different podcasts that do that. Yeah. Scrubs has one. Uh, you know, there's tons of them. And so. uh I feel like some of that satire is probably going to hit real close to home for me, <laughs> but that's okay. I like that. 
Yeah, yeah. So I'm looking forward to trying this series. We have one more uh, news article, and then we're going to give you a mashup, but it's just going to be Jonathan this week. So it better be good, my friend. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I've, I've, I've already tested my material out, and it got a laugh that lasted long enough where I had to pause the story. Excellent. So real quick, our last news article is that NPR did a Tiny Desk concert for Six the Musical. So if you wanted to watch about 20 minutes of Six the Musical unstaged, you can do that. Yeah, it's a if you're not familiar with what Six the Musical is, it's a a kind of a a pop musical uh, pastiche where you get the six wives of Henry VIII gathering together, kind of presenting their side of the story, you know, trying to demand to be more than just known as the first wife, the second wife, the third wife, etc., to kind of assert their own identities, their own agency outside of their relationship with this jerk who was a king. Uh, and Henry VIII, by the way, was one of the biggest jerks yeah. <laughs> to ever rule England. And that's some stiff competition. Uh, but uh, yeah, so, so the musical is... There is a, a narrative that kind of goes with it, but it's almost more like series of vignettes or really yeah. series of musical numbers. It's like you're at a concert more than uh, a story. So it was a it was a fitting move. The thing that's interesting is that the actors, all of whom are amazing and the musicians, too, who are also amazing, are kind of still in theatrical performance mode as they perform inside NPR's offices. And there is a disconnect between how big they are with their performance and how small the space is. And it really makes you feel that when you take a theatrical performance out of a theater and put into a smaller space, it looks like the most unnatural thing you've ever seen. I agree. It's great if you want to listen to some of the music from the current cast and watch them in their process, but it doesn't completely translate. I felt the same way about the little shop of horrors, tiny desk concert, which I know you have not watched yet, Jonathan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's interesting because on the one hand, as a viewer, I probably would want to get at least some of that like stage performance element incorporated into a, a, like a concert version of a show's numbers. On the other hand, it does feel very unnatural and forced when you're, in, when you're outside the theatrical experience, it just feels artificial and weird. Whereas in, in the context of a theater, it feels totally natural. Like that's where it belongs. And, and it makes me think that maybe in the, the concert venue side, like when you're on the little, the little space, maybe you just present the music and you dial back the stage performance part. Uh, but yeah, that's a tough call to make. Cause you know, you and I, we've both been in musicals and part of the fun is the theatricality and, and to take that away kind of, Sometimes the music stands on its own, but sometimes it just can't. Sometimes you need that theatricality to really sell whatever it is that the song is. I agree. So let's get to some theatricality. Uh, we decided to mash up Winnie the Pooh and The Wizard of Oz. Yes. And yes. Uh, I look forward to hearing your mashup, Jonathan. Well, my mashup is titled Dorothy and the Hundred Acre Wood because I wanted to save all the jokes 
for the actual mashup. <laughs> so I didn't do I didn't do a silly title for once, but here we go. <clears throat> Dorothy Gale has a problem. Well, she has a couple. For one, she's stuck in Kansas, of all places, and it's the Great Depression. For another, Technicolor won't come to Kansas for another five years, so everything is in black and white. Oh, and also there are tornadoes. Lots of them. While on one of her many efforts to run away from home, all of which ultimately see her return to her farm disheartened, the tornadoes set in. Shucks, she says to no one. Well, maybe she says it to her dog Toto, whom we will not hear about again for the rest of this mashup after this paragraph. But I want to assure you, the dog is fine through this whole thing, so don't even worry about it. I lost track of time. It must be 4 p.m. Tornado time. And she plops Toto into her basket and then goes scampering back toward the general direction of her farm. End of paragraph and also end of Toto's involvement with this story. Let's just assume it's blessing the rains down in Africa. Now, as we all know, tornadoes are always prompt in Kansas. They show up right on time, whether you've kept track of the day or not. And so Dorothy, being just a touch further from the farm than usual, is not able to make it back in time. And those twisters are getting mighty close. So out of desperation, Dorothy wedges herself into the trunk of a hollowed-out tree that's fallen over. And while this protects her from some of the debris, it's not the most sturdy of shelters, and before she knows it, the log is picked up by a tornado and flies up into the air. All the spinning makes her ever so dizzy, so she finds it hard to remain conscious. She goes to sleepy sleeps, and when she wakes up, everything has changed. She discovers that the log she is in has landed in a glade in the woods, and everything there is colorful, which is a real shock to the system. She gingerly gets out of the log and looks around at the lush green woods around her, and underneath the log, she sees a pair of gray legs. Oh, heavens, she says. I do hope I haven't hurt some poor creature. And she tries to move the log, but has no luck. Thanks for trying, she hears behind the log. It's a sad, lugubrious voice. Moving around to the other side of the log, Dorothy sees the front half of a gray donkey. Kind of. I mean, it's clearly meant to be a donkey, but it also kind of looks like a large stuffed animal. You know, kind of like a teddy bear, but donkey-shaped. Oh my goodness, are you hurt? asks Dorothy. You needn't worry. I'm sorry for getting in the way of your log, says the donkey. Nonsense, says Dorothy. How can you say something like that? And she pushes again on the log, and this time it moves a bit. So she starts rocking it back and forth and is finally able to push it off the donkey. There you go. The stuffed donkey, looking a bit wonky because his stuffing got moved around so much, gets up, but is apparently none the worse for wear. Thanks. That was nice of you. I'm Dorothy, she says. Dorothy Gale. And what should I call you? I'm Eeyore, says the donkey. Well, I should let you get back to... whatever it was you were doing. Dorothy says, hold on. I, I don't even know where I am. Or how to get back to my home. You should talk to the robin, says Eeyore. Well, where do I find this, the robin, she asks. 
He's at the other side of the Hundred Acre Wood. Unless he's out playing, which means he could be anywhere. What could you take me to him? asks Dorothy. Well, I have been meaning to see him. I hope he knows where my tail is, says the donkey. At that, Dorothy notices that, sure enough, Eeyore is missing a tail. Well then, let's go find him. He can help me get home and find your tail. And with that, the donkey does something really weird. He begins to sing. When an ass is a real tilter, a donkey goes off kilter and begins to whine and wail. I could be quite excessive rather than so depressive if I only had a tail. And Dorothy says, Is this going to happen a lot? And Eeyore just nods. So the two set out, and before long they come across a stuffed kangaroo. Hello, Kanga, says Eeyore. Hello, Eeyore, says Kanga. Have you seen my kid? Nope, says Eeyore. But we're on our way to see the robin to get this girl home. Her name is Dorothy. Maybe the robin has seen your son. So then Kanga says, When you pair up marsupials, things get real canubial, and a third one comes from two. Time is a tickin' and my son's, but I'll be kickin' once I find my little Roo. So now, the three of them set off into the wood, and Dorothy says, Are these woods safe? We don't really have forests in my part of Kansas. And Kanga says, well, they're mostly safe, as long as we avoid the heffalumps. And the woozles, says Eeyore. Oh, and the tiggers, says Kanga. Heffalumps and woozles and tiggers, oh my, says Dorothy. And the three begin chanting this phrase over and over, as if they'd fallen under some sort of cult-like influence, until out of a shady spot, Dorothy spies a pair of eyes looking back at them, and she gasps, and from the darkness of the shade crawls a vicious tiger. Or at least that's what it looks like at first. It turns out it's not a vicious tiger, it's a stuffed tiger. Uh, more precisely, it's a stuffed tigger. In fact, it's the one and only tigger, who steps right in front of Dorothy. Pada! he yells. Oh, but you frightened me, says Dorothy. And Tigger immediately looks disappointed. Not as much as if I had my Springer back, says Tigger. You're what? asks Dorothy. Tigger points to his tail. My Springer. I normally spring and bounce and flounce, but I've lost my Springer. Well, maybe the Robin has your Springer, says Dorothy. We're on our way to see him right now, and you can join us if you like. Thank you, thank you, thank you, says Tigger. And then we get this. I am a thing of wonder, above, below, or under, when I get to do my thing. Like the guy on MASH named Klinger, I am fabulous with my Springer, if I only had my... This was a bad rhyme scheme, I'm so sorry. And with that, the four companions head on. It seems like hours go by, it was actually 17 minutes, when they encounter another glade, and they see a young boy attempting to extricate something out of a large honey jar. Christopher Robin, says Kanga, and the boy turns and waves. Oh, exclaims Dorothy, this was the Robin you meant. Eeyore looks at Dorothy. Yes, Christopher Robin made this our home. He's the reason we can walk and talk. Hello, my friends, says Christopher Robin. Who is that you've got with you? I'm Dorothy Gale, says Dorothy, and I'm from Kansas. I'm trying to find my way back home. Well, says Christopher Robin, 
If you can help me get poo out of this jar, I think I could be of assistance. Dorothy pauses. Hang on. You want me to scoop out of a jar? And Christopher Robin blinks. What? No, poo. You need to... Winnie the poo, you vulgar girl. And then Kanga leans over to Dorothy and says, It's a teddy bear. Oh, I see, says Dorothy. Well, I'll be glad to help as long as I don't get poop on my hands. And with that, Dorothy, Kanga, Eeyore, and Tigger help Christopher Robin extricate a very full, very happy, and very sleepy Winnie the Pooh from the honey jar. Now then, says Christopher Robin, let's get this sorted. And he walks up to Eeyore. I found your tail on the edge of the woods. Do be careful with it, Eeyore. And with that, he pins Eeyore's tail back on his hindquarters. Then he turns to Kanga. And Roo is just on the other side of those bushes. He was chasing a butterfly. When I get my hands on that little bast, says Kanga as she jumps off into the woods. And Tigger, you ran off before I could reinstall your Springer after your bath. And with that, Christopher Robin performs a very graphic surgical procedure on a screaming Tigger. As he reinserts the Springer into Tigger's tail, it is incredibly disturbing. By the end, Tigger seems just fine. He has no memory of the medical torture he was just forced to endure. Thanks, pal, he says, and he springs off. And as for you, he turns to Dorothy, the power to go home was yours all along, because you're actually still unconscious. It might be a coma. And then everything goes wibbly-wobbly as Dorothy feels herself sinking further into unconsciousness. The last thing she remembers hearing is a faint, Oh, bother, as Winnie the Pooh re-enters the honeypot and a son of a bit from Christopher before she blacks out. When she wakes up, she's in a hospital. It's all in black and white again. And surrounding her is her family and the farmhands who work on her family's land. Oh, I was in the most amazing place, says Dorothy. And not a single one of you was there. The end. That was amazing. It was perfection. I laughed all the way throughout, but you couldn't hear it because I had to mute my microphone because I've got some housework going on. But uh, it was everything I wanted for my Friday. Thank you, Jonathan. <laughs> You're welcome. Yes, I had a lot of fun with that. Um, when I read it to to our mutual friend Shay, the bit that got her the most was getting the poo out of the jar. That was very funny. And can't, it just was all very funny. Uh, again, like I said, perfection. This should be turned into a Disney movie, maybe with a little less uh, mean words, because Disney. <laughs> well, I, I made sure to censor myself on all of the mean words. <laughs> you, did. you did. Well, if this mashup has made your day, good listeners, as much as it made mine, you should write us and tell Jonathan. Yes. Uh, right now, the way the best way to get in touch with us is through social media. So on Twitter, we are LNC underscore podcast. And on Facebook and Instagram, we are Large Nerdron Collider. You can reach out onto any of those platforms and let us know. Ariel keeps a close eye on all that stuff. She's always on top of it. So we're eager to hear your thoughts. Uh, also, if you enjoyed the show, please consider giving us a review on whatever podcatching service you use and uh, share it with your friends because the more the merrier, really. And we really enjoy doing this show. I mean, we're going to keep doing it 
until one of us says, I'm not doing this anymore. But it's always fun to have more people to join. I agree. Well, until next time, I have been Ariel, head full of straw, Kasten. And I've been Jonathan, I'm full of poo, Strickland. I didn't need to know that. It's funny because it's true. Oh. The Large Nerdron Collider was created by Ariel Kasten and produced, edited, published, deleted, undeleted, published again, cursed at, by Jonathan Strickland. Music by Kevin McLeod of Incomptech.com.